You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I'm Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So we are in the middle of the Purim story. So if you're listening to this show and you didn't listen to the last one, uh, probably you should go back. I think it's number 339. Go back to show 339, the one right before this, um, to make sure you're not missing anything in the story because we, we've laid the groundwork. Now we've said that God is setting up the plan. We call it the, the, the healing is before the hit. Now it's, the Jewish people are going to be threatened with annihilation from Haman, but God already has all the pieces in place. Esther is the queen. Mordechai is written in the Chronicles for saving the king's life from assassination plot. We didn't even discuss that there's other issues. Mordechai and Haman had been generals for Achashverosh, and Mordechai, of course, was careful with his supplies, and Haman burned through his supplies. Haman needed to get supplies from Mordechai, and the deal was, you're my servant, and he had a document. So there's a lot of stuff in play in the background. Everything is behind the curtain. Everything is ready to protect the Jewish people. So now, when we start part two of the Purim story, so when the Jewish people are deserving of being saved, whatever they need to be saved is already in place. But before we get there, of course, as always, um, to all my dedicated listeners, um, I know you guys love the show, and I do need your help to show the show spread. I need you to go to my homepage. We got to take care of the studio. We got to help the show spread. So please hit the donate button. Leave a name. I give a shout out. Memory of. Happy birthday. And of course, in advance, I do thank you. So let's get rolling with part two of the story. Again, Esther is queen. We're like a good seven years now into, into, well, actually be 12 years in. About 12 years into the story of Esther and Achashverosh and Mordechai and the Purim story. And now Haman becomes prime minister. Different reasons why perhaps Achashverosh made him prime minister, not so important for us. But in any case, Haman is now second in command. Haman is the wealthiest man in the world. He He's it. He's the, I would say Bill Gates, but now there's a whole bunch of other people. Right, but he's the Bill Gates. He he is all wealthy, or Elon Musk, he can do whatever he wants. He has piles of money. Money has no value to him. And when money has no value to you, so what do you do to feel good about yourself? What, 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 so I have money. So I have a billion, I have two billion, I have three billion, four billion. Four, what? I can buy any plane I want. I can buy any car I want. I can have as many mansions as I want. I could probably buy whoever I want for a wife. I could I could do whatever I want. I could buy my own city. Uh, what can you give me 
to satisfy my needs as a person? What, what could you possibly give me? So the answer is honor. The, the, the reason why when people get older is they crave honor. When they're younger, they want money because they think money is everything. They get older, they realize the money is not doing anything for me. But honor, I feel so important. I feel so special. And that's why people use their money to buy honor. Very, very simple, very standard. So, Haman's prime minister, he wants honor. So, whoever made the decree, but everyone has to bow down in front of Haman. Everybody bows down. Mordechai says, I'm not bowing down. I'm not bowing down to him. Different reasons are given why Mordechai does want to bow down. First of all, he says Haman has a, a, an idol dangling from his neck. I don't want anyone to even suspect I'm bowing down to an idol. Second of all, he's a person. I only bow down to God. Now, it is interesting. The Talmud discusses if, if the Jewish people were happy or unhappy with what, what Mordechai did. Like, it, he's a prime minister. He wants everyone to bow down. He's a person. You would bow down in front of the king, right? So a person wants you to bow down. Who cares? Like, what's the big deal? So, and because you don't bow down, Haman gets incensed, and he's threatening to wipe out the Jewish nation. All because you don't want to bow down, like... So this is the the behind the scenes a little bit, but Mordechai does want to bow down. So Haman is a prime minister. There's thousands of people bowing down. I can't imagine he noticed. The reason he noticed is because the people standing near Mordechai said, how can you not bowing down? Mordechai told them. He said, Mordechai, you big talker. We're going to go tell Haman, and we'll see what kind of big talk you are. Because again, that's... Just how people were. Now, it, it, it helps, or it doesn't help. The Mordechai is already an officer. And once you're an officer to the king, so everybody tries to cut you down, because they imagine if I cut you down, I get a better position. Okay. Mordechai, I'm sorry, Haman checks it out and sees it. Mordechai is not bowing down. Now, Haman knows Mordechai. He, he, as we said earlier, he was... They were, they were not partners, but they were both generals for Achashverosh, and Haman had to come on to Mordechai to, to uh, help supply his troops. Otherwise, his troops would just all go home, and he would be finished. So they, they already know each other, and Haman is from Amalek. Amalek is that famous nation a few Torah abortions ago. Amalek is the first nation that attacks the Jewish people when they come out of Egypt. And from that point on, there's this war between Amalek and the Jewish people, and we're commanded to destroy Amalek. So Haman is from this nation that has a, an intrinsic hatred towards the Jewish people. So really, really, like, again, and Haman also, it's all part of the honor problem. You don't like Mordechai. You're a prime minister. Just kill the guy. Like, how hard could this be? No. Haman says, I can't just kill Mordechai. I have to kill the whole Jewish people. Like, why? Like, what are you doing? Just kill Mordechai, and the story is over. You got all your honor. The guy who got you upset is dead. So who cares? Perhaps. Perhaps the answer is that for Haman, this is the excuse. That was he hates the Jewish people. 
his his goal in life is the annihilation, the total destruction of the Jewish people. So Mordechai will be the cause that he gets to destroy the Jewish people. No problem. So he doesn't look at the calendar to see what's a convenient day for him. Everything was constellations and idols and who knows what. So he has to make these lots where it was like 1 through 365 um, plus the month. So the month had to work out with the days. So it comes out to Adar, and it comes out to the 13th of Adar, not the 14th. The 14th is Purim. The 13th is when the war was supposed to be. And Haman likes that day. He said, this is an auspicious time because Moses died in the month of Adar, so clearly Adar is a bad month. It's like bad luck for the Jewish people. Now, if you're going to pick a bad month, it's not Adar. You're going to pick a bad month, you pick of where the temple was destroyed, even Tammuz, where the temple was surrounded and, and the Jewish people made the golden calf. But obviously God is running the show over here. So he wants Haman to believe that this is a good date. And even on his own calculation, Adar is not a good month because it's true Moses died, but he also was born that day. It was his birthday and the anniversary of his death. So it's not a bad day. But that's not how Haman thinks. Once he has in his mind, once he has in his mind to wipe out the Jewish people, and now he has a calendar date, now he's ready to sit down with Achashverosh and discuss the plan. Now, this is very debatable, and I wonder if part of the reason it's so debatable is the McGill itself is unclear about certain things, unclear about a lot of things. But one of them is, where was Achishverosh in this whole plan? Did Achishverosh like the Jewish people? He didn't know what Haman was doing. The story makes it sound like Achishverosh is clueless. It, it, it would make more sense. I mean, Haman can't come in and say, I want to destroy a nation, and don't ask me who it is, and uh, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. I'll take the fall. Like, what's Achishverosh thinking? You're king. You Don't you want to know which nation he's destroying? Like, why are you not... Uh, following through and getting more information and taking this deeper. But the Megillah is written when the Jewish people are living in Babylonia and Persia. We're living in that part of the world. You cannot write a scroll that uh, talks about how wicked the king is. You just can't write it. Right? You have to be a, a complete and total fool to think that you can... Uh, that you can write how this king is a wicked guy. So even if Achishverosh is very wicked, but you can't write it that way in a public document. It's impossible. So whatever we want the story to be, Haman meets with Achishverosh and says, there's a nation and the king doesn't need them, but I got a problem with them. I need to wipe them out. You're worried about taxes? I'll deliver 10,000 silver bars or whatever they were. So, a lot of money. As you worry about taxes, I'll fill your coffers with more money than you know what to do with, because again, Haman can afford it. And the king says, no, you, Haman, you're my prime minister. I trust you. Keep the money. Here's my ring. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? It almost makes the story easier. If Ahasuerus doesn't like the Jewish people, right? He doesn't like the Jewish people, so... Uh, he said, I'm going to go ahead and wipe them out. 
right? Otherwise, like, you're giving him your ring, you don't even know what's going on. But in any case, so he gives Haman the ring, because the signet ring, that was the king's signature. So you could basically make any law, anything you wanted to do, and now you're in control. So Haman has the documents written up, and he writes in a very interesting way. There is a nation that will be destroyed on the 13th of Adar, but there will be a second letter informing everybody exactly who that nation is because Haman felt that this way, you know, everybody could read between the lines. Everyone knew it was gonna, he was referring to the Jewish people. That was like so easily understood, so automatic. But if you don't write it, it's hard to go to the king and say, King, you're wiping out my nation. How do you know what nation is? I read the document, it doesn't say anything. Right, so, so it's even though in Shushan it seems it was clear it was a Jewish nation, but for everybody else it wasn't going to be so clear. Haman has it sent out. Now it's eleven months. It's we're in Nissan at the time. It's actually Passover. It's actually Passover. And they send out the proclamation. Mordechai gets wind. He sees the letter. Gets a copy of the letter. It would seem in the Shushan version it was clear that it was the Jewish people. And he immediately puts on sackcloth and starts to pray, which is a, 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 an important part of the whole story. Right? In other words, it is not our ingenuity, it is not our contacts, it's God. And if you want God to take care of you, you got to pray. I just taught my class today. We were talking about that the Jewish people are suffering in Egypt, and then... The king dies, and because of the suffering, whatever it was, I don't want to get into it now, uh, the Jewish people cry out to God, and immediately God goes to Moses by the burning bush. And it was, it's not enough. It's not enough that, the, um, that we deserve to be saved. we got to pray. In this case, we had to pray because there were things we had to, we had to correct either being punished because we bowed down to the idol by Nebuchadnezzar or we enjoyed Ahasuerus' party, whatever the reason we're being punished. But we got to do, we got to repent. So Mordechai starts going through the streets and crying and telling people we have to repent. They're trying to destroy us. And the only way we can be saved is through prayer. Um, Mordechai put on sackcloth. Well, you can't go into the king's palace dressed as a peasant, that's they throw you out. So Esther tries to send clothes. Mordechai refuses to put them on. So she sends a message, like, What's, what gives? What's going on over here? So, so Mordechai sends back the letter and says, look what's going on. They're going to kill the Jewish people. This must be the reason why God wanted you in the palace. You have to go to Achish and you have to save the Jewish people. So, like all normal, good procrastinators. Esther says, you know, it's, it's not good timing today. Today is not a good day. i tell you why. I haven't seen the king for a month. We never go this long without uh, chatting and uh, doing other things. So I haven't seen the king in such a long time. For sure he'll call me in the next day or two. But to go to his throne room, the law was that if you enter the king's throne room, it was like a security measure, if you enter the king's throne room without permission, they kill you first and they ask questions later. Says, says if I'm going to go into the king's throne room, they're going to kill me and you'll get nothing from me. Let's wait a few days, a week, two weeks. How long do you think it's going to be till Ahasuerus calls you back to the throne room? He's about to call me back any day now. 
So Mordechai sends back, that's not the way it works. The way it works is, and this is what I, we started out in the show before, we were talking about the Masilsi Sharm. We don't make calculations. We're not afraid. We are confident. We know God is running the show. If this is where God put us, we act immediately. We do not, we call it zrizos or alacrity. We don't delay. We just act with thinking, with brains, but we act. So Mordechai says, if you think that you can hide in the palace and what's happening to the Jewish people, uh, you're going to be safe, you can forget about it. If you don't act now, God's going to save us. Right? That, we're going to pray, God is going to save us. But you will be lost to your family forever. You'll be gone, you'll be, well, you'll be forgotten from history. This is the time to act. So Esther sends back and says, okay, fine. So here's what we need to do. And again, it's all prayer. Everything is, is going to be based on prayer because we need God to save us. Tell the Jewish people to fast day and night for three days, and I will go to the king, and what will be will be. What will be will be. So Mordechai listens to her. He immediately, again, the king got the whole world, but they sent out messages that everybody should fast for three days, which means that in six months from now, people could be fasting for three days because they don't know like what's going on in the palace. But Shushan for sure is fasting the next three days. Mordechai is busy learning with Jewish children. And Esther is fasting, and her maidservants are fasting. And on the third day, so she's still fasting, she goes, she heads towards the king's throne room. She gets to the throne room. The king sees her, stretches out his scepter. Uh, the Talmud tells the miraculous. It stretched many, many feet. Some uh, Another Gemara says that, the, that three angels were involved, one to make Esther... Um, be favorable in his eyes, one to lift up the king's head so he could see, one to stretch the scepter. In any case, the king sees her and stretches out her scepter. She touches the scepter. No one could touch her. So the king says, Esther, this must be really, really important because if I wouldn't have noticed you, if I would have delayed stretching out my scepter, or if I'd be in a bad mood, you'd be dead. What could possibly be so important that you had to risk your life um, to, to come today. You know, I'm, we haven't spoken. I haven't seen you in a month. I, I'm busy, but I'm going to get to you. What could be so important? So Esther says, you know, I would love to make a party with the king and Haman, and we'll discuss what's so important. Okay, so like, you know, she's playing the game over here. Like, she can't tell him on the spot. She has to make a party with the king and Haman. So the question is, why Haman? Who said anything about Haman? Get a, get a meeting with a king, have lunch with a king, explain to the king what's going on. This Haman fooled you. It's the Jewish nation. You can't let him do it. End of story. Why is she playing with Haman? So there's many, many answers. I believe there's like 12 different reasons. Um, have Haman's there, so and she wants Haman executed. They won't have to look for Haman. Haman won't be able to run away. Um, she had a verse from her from uh, from I think Proverbs that uh, if you want to take care of your enemy, feed him bread. Um, one of the answers I happen to like is almost um, like a roller coaster. 
we already said at the beginning, Haman wants honor. So Esther understands Haman has to get a certain amount of honor, and when he gets to the top, it's all over. It's like a roller coaster. So Esther said, I got to get Haman to the top of the roller coaster, and then it's downhill from there. Being invited to a private party with the king and the queen, you don't get, there's no greater honor. That should push him over the top. The truth is the first party it would seem did push him over the top, but nothing happened, so she made another party. So Haman and the king come to the party, and the king says, okay, very nice party, you brought us here. Why do you bring us here? Like, what's going on? Says this says, you know, I'm not ready to tell you today. But tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day I will tell you everything. So the king says, fine, tomorrow, another party with me and Haman, and you will tell me what's bothering you, what you need, whatever you want. I'm going to give you whatever you want. I'm to have the kingdom. It should be yours. Whatever you want, Esther, just ask for it. Haman leaves the party. He couldn't be a happier guy. He is floating like, I am it. The king and the queen invited me to a private party and a second private party. Do you understand? I'm so powerful. The, the queen wants me by the party. Whatever she has to tell Achishverosh tomorrow must be so important that she feels I need to be there. That was very important. And she did need Haman to be there, but he doesn't know that. He comes out of the party. They have to remember. So he is getting the greatest honor imaginable. And he sees Mordechai by the gate. And Mordechai doesn't budge. He like ignores the fact that Haman's even there. This Haman can't handle. Which is really, again, amazing. Like you're being insulted by a cockroach. You are up there with a king and queen. And you're worried about some, some guy, Mordechai, that doesn't bow down to you like that is where your level of self-esteem is that a Mordechai not bearing down to you takes away all these great honors? I mean, it's crazy. Like, like, like what? So Haman goes home, and he tells his wife, oh, we got to do something about this Mordechai. I can't handle it. I get invited to the party of the king and the queen, and I am insulted by this Mordechai. So Zeres says, let's, let's build a gallows, We'll make it 50 amois or 50 cubits high. And you'll go to the king. Now, interesting, Zeresh is not a fool. His wife was Zeresh. She says to him, you will, uh, you'll, um, you'll go to the king in the morning. Haman couldn't wait. He goes at night. Now, that night, he immediately goes to the palace. You're interrupting the king in the middle of the night, right? You're also, again, taking chances. While this is going on, Achashverosh is having nightmares. Having nightmares. He can't understand why Esther is inviting Haman. And like every good king, he imagines that there's an assassination plot, plot going on over here. And he's trying to figure out, how come no one's telling me if Esther and Haman, which is one of the plans, by the way, that Esther had, that the king should think that she and Haman are out to get Achishverosh, and... And the king will suspect and he'll execute both of them. And the rule is, in those days, if somebody makes a decree and the person who made the decree or is on the letter, the decree is executed, so the decree is null and void. So Esther would be happy with that. That works for her. So the king cannot understand. So he said, in those days, they had a very good system of spies. The king would just pay him more than anybody else. So if you knew about somebody who wanted to kill the king, 
the king would pay you off, you you tattletale, even if you lied, and you become a wealthy man. So the king wants to know how come no one's telling him. Why is no one informing me that there's a plot going on? Like, no one's telling me what's with Haman and Esther. Like, how come I don't know what's going on? Perhaps somebody once um, did tell me about an assassination plot, and I, uh, and I ignored it. I didn't pay them. Read me the Chronicles. So this is what we were talking about in the last show, right? That Mordechai had saved the king from Bigson and Seresh, and, and it was written down in the Chronicles, but Mordechai was never awarded. You know, I thought we could get through the Perma story in two shows, but I guess I was way wrong. So we're going to have to continue this next week. In any case, in any case, um, you've been listening to Let's Talk Torah. And oh, here we go. I thank everyone. My well, t- thank you to everyone. We're gonna start again. I hope you guys all enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to under the sponsor. Listen, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team, David. I have in the back. I will live some food with on. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and Aaron Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build.